0: Do this Wednesday edition of the Logan Blackman show. Let's give ourselves we've done this a lot recently because there's a lot of things we gotta get excited for. But let's give ourselves a round of applause, ladies and gentlemen. It is finally, finally here. We had our first week of college football. I guess technically second week, even though that was week one. Technically, the first week of college football was week zero. Then we had week one. Now we're on week two. So we did all that stuff and it was awesome. College football is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. But Thursday, we have the return of the NFL. We have the Buffalo Bills taking on the Los Angeles Rams in a potential Super Bowl preview. And oh my goodness, I cannot get more excited. The Bills just posted a video a couple minutes ago about Von Miller hyping it up. The team, the biggest free agent signing in Buffalo Bills history. I think it's crazy to think about this. I mean, this kind of is a... Uh, a slap in the face of the Bills' organization as a a whole. Because it's kind of like... The the Bills and the Bulls, the Chicago Bulls, are kind of similar in their trajectories in regards to being viewed as franchises. The Bulls differently than the Bills, just because they won. But apart from six years in the 90s and four years in the 90s for the Bills, six years in the 90s for the Bulls, what else do the two organizations really have to show for it? Like the Bills before, Jim Kelly, Thurman, Andre Reid, Bruce Smith, all those guys... We're a stock. Apart from O.J. Simpson, they were nothing. The Bills, pre-Michael Jordan, pre-Scottie, pre-Rodman, all those guys, pre-Phil Jackson, they had Artis Gilmore. Apart from Artis Gilmore, they had Bob Love and uh, Jerry Sloan. The Bills had other people like Jay Delamalier was on the team as well as an off-the-lineman. Jack Kemp, Joe Ferguson were decent quarterbacks of the Bills at that time as well. But apart from four years in the 90s, for the Bills, yes, they lie. I know there's different context here because the Bulls won six championships. The Bills lost four Super Bowls. But apart from those little blips in the 90s, the organizations are not really the greatest. The Bills did a terrible job trying to rectify the team that won a hell. They went on an 18-year playoff drought. They went. Uh, they followed up the Super Bowl appearances with some playoff appearances before the Music City Miracle and then going an 18-year playoff drought. The Bulls blew up the team in the 90s and then traded all their first-round picks pretty much every year they drafted them. So you had, like, Elton Brand got traded, Tyson Chandler, Eddie Curry, Jamal Crawford. All these guys got traded before they could really reach their peak, and the Bulls never got better after those trades. Like, the Bulls tried to do that Twin Tower thing with Tyson Chandler and Eddie Curry, traded Elton Brand to the, the Clippers, I believe it was at the time. Like, they never, they never had a consistent foundation. Like, the Bills never had a consistent foundation. GMs going in and out. Head coaches going in and out. And then now, much like the Bulls, who have a nice structure, I can't say his last name, but we know who we're talking about in regard to that's responsible for building the Chicago Bulls back up. They brought in Billy Donovan, a guy who's had success pretty much everywhere he's gone. And the Bulls have restructured their roster and are starting to build somewhat of a competitive unit that was not seen, like, two, three years ago when they had Jim Boylan. I feel like Fred Hoiberg got a bad rap in Chicago. I never really think he got a chance because once he left, they started getting in players that would have fit Fred Hoiberg's system to a T. Like, Fred Hoiberg's first year, they brought in Rajon Rondo and Dwayne Wade. Great players. I don't want to take anything away from them as players, but they didn't fit what Fred Hoiberg was trying to do as a coach. It didn't work, so they fired him. Like, the Bills had a bunch of different GMs, a bunch of different head coaches. That just never worked out. And then they bring in Brandon Bean as a GM, or bring in Sean McDermott first, and then Brandon Bean as the GM. And then now the Bills are seen, now two different, like, the Bulls are not right now seen as a potential NBA Finals champion. They're not really seen as that yet, but they're building something towards that to where they can be a somewhat competitive unit in the Eastern Conference. And that's what the Bills did. The Bills have been at this thing. Brandon B. and Sean McDermott have been in this thing longer than the Bulls have. They haven't had the same. They've been together for two years, really. Brought in DeMar DeRozan, Nikola Vucevic. Brought in Lonzo Ball. Drafted a prospect who never started a single game in college and Patrick Williams that could develop into something nice. And the Bills did the same thing with Josh Allen. I'm not saying Patrick Williams is going to develop into the best player in the NBA like Josh Allen has in the NFL, but they drafted youth. They drafted the prospect, the project piece, that could develop into something. But he's had some injuries early on, but they're starting to build that, and that's kind of what the Bills did. And the Bills now, and it's just crazy to see. My Twitter feed, since we're getting closer and closer to the NFL season, my Twitter feed has just been blowing up with – the Bills are this favorite. The Bills are the Super Bowl favorite. Josh Allen, MVP favorite. Vaughn Miller's the missing piece to this roster to make them Super Bowl champions. Like all these different things have popped up in my social media feed. And it's just crazy. It's really crazy to sit here and think about the Bills being a competitive, not just competitive, not just competitive. Competitive is not the right word. Being the perceived best team in the league is a foreign thought. To 99% of Buffalo Bills fans. Because, again, there's weirdos in every single fan group that think their team's going to win the Super Bowl every single year. Like, there's those people every single year that are like that. Every single fan base has them. Not every There's not a perfect fan base out there. Even though everybody thinks their fan base is the best and their team's the best and that they're just a different culture, they're just a different feeling when you watch this team play and things like that. Everybody feels the same way. And there's weirdos in every single fan base. So there's obviously going to be some people that have been like, oh, I thought the Bills were going to win the Super Bowl back in. When they drafted J.P. Losman, they drafted E.J. Manuel, they drafted all these guys, and it just never worked out. They had the exciting pieces, but then didn't have any substance behind the exciting pieces. Like, they brought C.J. Spiller in with the ninth overall pick, Sammy Watkins with the fourth overall pick, and has never developed into anything. They would have, like, a good year. Like, C.J. Spiller had one really good year in Buffalo, and that was it. Sammy Watkins, pretty much the same thing. Sammy Watkins battled a crap ton of injuries. It still is. He'll have one good game a year, and then he'll get hurt, and you don't remember he's in the league, and then he's like, oh, Sammy Watkins is back from his 15 wink ankle sprain. I, I don't know. It's always something like that. I have no issue with Sammy Watkins. I like Sammy Watkins and the Tyra Taylor connection. Like, the Bills had Robert Woods there as well. Like, Sammy Watkins and Robert Woods, that was a fun unit. Robert Woods has developed into a nice receiver in the NFL, not a number one guy. For a little bit, I guess you could say he was kind of a number one guy. Cooper Cup kind of took that over when he was injured, but he's had a good year. Good good year, good career, bad year. He tore his ACL. So bad year, but good career overall for Robert Woods. But this team is just so weird. It's so weird. It's so, so weird to view the Bills as a potential Super Bowl winning team. And not just potential Super Bowl winning team. The favorite to win the Super Bowl is such a... I, I can't really wrap my head around it. And we're getting closer and closer. We are a day away for you that you're listening right now. We are a day away from watching the Bills take on the Rams. On Thursday Night Football, the first game of the season. Who would have ever thought less... Probably, what, six, seven, eight years ago, the Bills would be the opening day gave the season. And not only that, they're playing the, the Rams. The Rams, at that point, the Bills, at that point, they're gonna open up the season in however many years. That's ridiculous to think about. The Rams going back to Los Angeles? Which I guess, wow, when was that? That was 2016. Wow, they've been in LA. They've been back in LA that long? Because Jared Goff was the first draft pick. And I was in high school. Wow, they they were in LA at that time. Hmm. It doesn't feel like they've been in LA that long. It does not feel like that at all. But just looking at the two rosters, it's hard not to sit here and think that this could be, and I know I've said this before and halfway joking, halfway being serious, that this could really be a potential Super Bowl preview. Like, if you look up and down each roster, it's hard not to say that these two teams aren't the best in the league. And you'll have other people, like, the Chiefs will still have their sayers out there, you got the Packers, the Buccaneers, you got all these different teams, but... Really, when you break it down, it's hard not to think. The Rams are the Super Bowl champion, reigning Super Bowl champions. I know there's Super Bowl hangovers and everything like that. But they got Sean McVay, Matt Stafford, balled in the playoffs last year, so you expect him to carry that momentum into the season. Came Akers is back. They brought in Allen Robinson. Cooper Cup just won the Triple Crown. Defensively, Jalen Ramsey, Aaron Donald. They got studs all over the defense. For the Bills, Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs. Von Miller, Trey White, when he comes back from his injury? Poyer and Hyde, the best safety duo in the league? That's not even me being biased. That's just a fact. If you don't believe that, I'm sorry. I can't really help you. And I'm talking about duos. I'm not necessarily saying that they're both the best at their respective positions, like free safety and strong safety. But I think together, they are the most complete safety tandem in the NFL. Like, they know what each other is doing without even talking. Like, they just know exactly what's going on. And I will always look forward... To when the Bills play Jalen Ramsey. So for those of you who are unaware of Jalen Ramsey, I mean, not of Jalen Ramsey, but the situation regarding Jalen Ramsey and the Buffalo Bills. So Josh Allen got drafted seventh overall in 2018 to very, very, very mixed reactions. And it was kind of one of those situations we talked about about before, where you have the pessimistic fans that are like, oh my God, you see what he did in college. The media is telling me he's not accurate. He's not this. He's not that. He played at Wyoming. We passed on Josh Rosen because Lamar Jackson, though he's turned into a very, very good quarterback in the NFL, and he was a great quarterback in college. I mean, won the Heisman, one of the most electrifying players in college football history, was not seen as one of the top guys in the draft, which is a really funny to think about given how Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen's careers have panned out, and even Baker Manfield's compared to Lamar Jackson. It's just funny to think about that. Like Lamar's a wide receiver. Like the Chargers were gonna try out him out as a wide receiver. It's crazy. He hasn't ha- I don't think he's had a sub-60% completion percentage the entire time he's been in the NFL, which I've had my say about completion percentage being a really good metric in regards to regarding accuracy, because accuracy and completing a pass are two totally different things. Because It doesn't show if the receiver dropped. It doesn't show if the ball was placed in the correct spot or not. It just doesn't tell you that. So when you look at Josh Allen's completion percentage in college, it's not really fair to him to say he's not accurate when that doesn't tell the whole story about if he's actually accurate or not. But when the Bills drafted Josh Allen and met with all that skepticism about how is this guy a top-ten pick, let alone the, top, the third quarterback taken in the draft before Josh Rosen and Lamar Jackson, it was met twice as harshly by a couple players in the NFL, namely Jamal Adams, who is now on the Seahawks and part of the reason the Seahawks suck as bad as they are, suck as bad as they do, and Jalen Ramsey. With Jalen Ramsey being the most notable one out of all of those, because the Jaguars, this was the offseason, if you don't remember this, where the Jaguars, the, the off season after the Jaguars went to the AFC Championship game. And then offseason, the Jaguars acted like they were one of the best teams in the NFL. Which, if you looked at their roster up and down, you know, they had some good pieces. You had Jalen Ramsey, you had A.J. Bouye. You had a solid Leonard Fournette, which I've never been a big Leonard Fournette fan. I've never really thought he was that great. You had Blake Bortles at quarterback. You had Clias Campbell. You had, who else was on the team? Was Dante Fowler on the team at the time? Miles Jack was there, I believe. Like You had really solid players on defense, but Doug Marone was the head coach. So you knew that was not going to be a long-lasting thing of them having a lot of success with Doug Marone as their head coach. And Doug Marone mixed with Jalen Ramsey, it just wasn't a good combination. So the Bills fans, maybe I'm just speaking for this, maybe Bills fans in general don't dislike the Jaguars. I hate the Jaguars. I cannot stand the Jacksonville Jaguars. Do I have a real problem with like, some of the players on the Jaguars? No, not really and I have a lot less hate for them now than I did, say, three years ago, three, four years ago, but I still don't like them. They gave Bills, the Bills Rob Johnson. Now, the Bills paid him a really good, really big contract, but they he played for the Jaguars, so I, there's a little stigma there as well. But Jalen Ramsey went on GQ, and I don't remember all the quarterbacks he bashed, but he basically went in on every single quarterback in the NFL, at least big-name quarterbacks in the NFL. Like I remember, he went on a big Ben Roethlisberger. I think he went on Andrew Luck. He didn't go in on Blake Bortles because they were teammates. But even then, I wouldn't have put it past him to say something about Blake Bortles not being a very good quarterback. Because then it was then it was true, and it's still true now. He's fun. I like him as a person. I think he's a funny guy. But as a football, as a quarterback in the NFL, no, he wasn't it. But Josh Allen's one was the thing that was the the thing that stuck out more than all of them. Maybe this is just from the Bills' side of things. But the words Jalen Ramsey used to describe Josh Allen really punched more than the other words he used for the other quarterback. He said, Josh Allen is trash. Now, I don't know if you're aware of what the term trash means in regards to the world of sports, but it means you are very bad. You're very, very bad. And here's the quote from Jalen Ramsey. I think Allen is trash. I don't care what nobody say. He's trash. And it's going to show, too. That's a stupid draft pick to me. We play them this year, and I'm excited as hell. And you want to know what? The Bills beat the Jaguars in that game. I was at that game. It was one of the best games I've ever been to. Shaq Lawson and Leonard Fournette, who wasn't even on the field at the time, both got ejected from the game for a play that happened on the opposite end of the Jaguars sideline, which is funny that Leonard Fournette, who was not on the field, again, not on the field, ran all the way to the opposite corner to punch up Shaq Lawson. I just think, And the Bills have one tunnel, and they brought them to the tunnel at the exact same time. And Josh Allen had one of the best games of his career. One of the best throws I've ever seen live was Josh Allen's throw to Robert Foster. If you, haven't, if you don't know what I'm talking about, look that throw up. It's not really about the th- like where the throw ended up and all, how the Bills scored a touchdown. It's how he hell he got the ball out. I don't know how he did it. Like I watched it, and when, we, were, we were sitting in the end zone, and we were at the tunnel end. And the Bills are driving the opposite end, so they're they're going the opposite end of the tunnel. And when I saw that live, I thought it got hit. I thought the ball got hit. I didn't think it was anything. And the next thing I know, Robert Foster's walking into the end zone, which is really crazy that Robert Foster was an option for the Bills at wide receiver. So it, was how, like, it was Robert Foster, Kelvin Benjamin, Zay Jones. Uh, there was another receiver there, number 10. He played with some he played with Tyrod at some point and he stuck on the roster but I don't remember what his name was I don't remember who it was that they brought in so he had a previous Duke uh Duke Williams was another receiver on that team got him from the CFL everybody was hyped about Duke Williams and that just didn't work out I think he scored the game when he touched on against the Titans and that was pretty much it but Robert Foster was one of the guys that at, at on the bills would any of you have guessed that he played for Alabama do you guys know who Robert Foster is if you're listening to the show now do you know who Robert Foster is like you wouldn't know if he played for the He played for the Bills. He played for Alabama. So you saw him at some point. I don't remember a single thing that dude did at Alabama. I do not remember a single thing he did. But the Bills won the game, and Jalen Ramsey was asked after the game and didn't say anything really about Josh Allen. But it's just funny they asked Jalen Ramsey about that today, as you do. Like you just called what is perceived to be for 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 to avoid argument's sake. A top three quarterback in the NFL, a top three, if not the best guy, best quarterback in the entire NFL. This is a guy you called trash when he got drafted. You said it was a stupid pick. You even got the team wrong that he played. You said he played Iowa State. He played Iowa, and he got shat on by Drew Ott in Iowa. I watched film of that when I was at William Penn. I have never, and this was before he was on the Buffalo Bills. I have never felt so bad for a quarterback in my entire life than watching that game, Iowa versus Wyoming in 2017-18. That game sucked. That was a brutal, 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 brutal game. But Jalen Ramsey, every time he plays Josh Allen, he's going to get asked this question. And he's probably never going to backtrack on it because every single quarterback that he played that he bashed in that thing, most of them got the better of Jalen Ramsey. Like, all the quarterbacks he bashed never really developed into being as bad as what he said they were. Like I, I'm not gonna take anything away from him. I think he's a really, really good corner. I think he's the, the probably the best corner in the entire NFL. But he's not a great trash talker. He's not really great. Like he might be able to get under your skin, but it's not like anything that he's actually proven. He got choke slammed by AJ Green. Like he, I don't know. But he got this. Got brought up. Jalen Ramsey today isn't interested in handing out compliments to the Bills when asked about the challenges of Josh Allen and wide receiver Stephon Diggs present. The the challenges they present. I'm not here to quote blow smoke, Ramsey said, adding, quote, I'm not about to sit up here and boost them up. Here's Josh Allen's record against Jalen Ramsey for those who are unaware. Josh Allen's 2-0 when Jalen Ramsey has played the Bills. Jalen Ramsey's been on the Rams and the Jaguars when playing the Bills. Josh Allen is 32 and 50 with 470 yards, five touchdowns, one pick. And I understand not all of that's against Jalen Ramsey. I understand that. I don't know the individual numbers for Josh Allen when playing Jalen Ramsey. I mean, that could all be lined up against Jalen Ramsey. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know his numbers between those two games exactly. I know he had a lot of rushing yards against the Jaguars. I don't remember what he did. right. Like I remember the Bills won on a pretty late touchdown. I think it was Tommy Sweeney that scored the late touchdown. But I, know- I am aware that not all those numbers are against Jalen Ramsey. But this is teams team Jalen Ramsey was on. And to call Josh Allen trash, you should be able to stop Josh Allen whatever defense you have. It shouldn't just just be Jalen Ramsey. He's so trash, only Jalen Ramsey can stop him. That's not how that works. If Josh Allen's trash, then the other corner and the D lineman and all those things on the Rams and Jaguars should really have no issue trying to take Josh Allen down because he's trash, as Jalen Ramsey said. And then he has 17 carries, 107 yards, two touchdowns as well. So 2-0, seven touchdowns, one pick. With over 500, 577 yards total offense against the Rams and the Jaguars. So every time the Bills played Jalen Ramsey, and I I the Rams, I don't want to overlook the Rams because they have a lot of great players. Aaron Donald, the best player in the NFL. Aaron Donald ragdolled Josh Allen when the Bills played the Rams when the Bills beat the Rams a few years ago. I ragdolled him. Josh Allen's not a big, not a tiny guy. Josh Allen, Josh Allen's a big dude, 6'5-5. 235, 240, and Aaron Donald ragdolled him. And Aaron Donald, compared to other, some, some of the other D linemen in the NFL, is not a very big guy either. But Aaron Donald's just that freakishly strong that he can just do that. So every time the Bills play Jalen Ramsey, I know it's going to get talked about a lot. Now, I haven't heard it as much this year because I think people are just laughing at that old quote now just because of how blatantly wrong it's been. Josh Allen last postseason had one of the greatest postseasons of NFL history, and I'm not just saying that biasly. Like, the game against the Chiefs, Patrick versus Josh Allen, I would go down and saying, not only is that the greatest game, at least of the 21st century, that is the greatest quarterback duel of all time. There's been some great quarterback duels throughout the history of the NFL. I refuse to believe there was one better than that, and I was there for that. And it sucks. And my friends have asked me this, because the Bills and Chiefs play each other every single year in the playoffs, it feels like. Regardless of how each team did in the regular season, they're going to match up in the playoffs. Like, would you rather have a game like that or lose a game by blowout? So essentially when the Bills lost to the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game the year prior. I was like, oh, I'd rather lose the game like the AFC Championship game. There's nothing worse than being there. Like, not necessarily it doesn't need, I don't need to be at the game. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about like you have the game won. You are there. You are in the next round of the playoffs. You're in the super, you are in that realm. Everything's done. And to have that taken away from you with 13 seconds in overtime, that sucked worse than watching the Bills get shat on. Because at least there was funny moments in that game. I can laugh about some of the things in the Chiefs-Bills game two years ago when they played in the AFC Championship game. Like Josh Allen throwing the ball. I think it was Chris Jones. I think it was Chris Jones. It could have been someone else on the Chiefs. It was someone on the Chiefs' defensive line. I don't remember who it was. Threw the ball at him. That was my desktop background for a while. Like, I had funny moments. I don't know if my dad would agree with the same thing, but... Man, I've never, fa- I've, I've cried twice after games ever in my life, and that was one of them. And they weren't tears of joy. Like, I, I am not afraid to admit that that's one of the greatest games of all time. I'm not afraid to admit that. Just because the Bills lost, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, that game sucked. And it did, but I'm not going to sit here and say, take down the greatness of the game because the Bills lost the game. The game against the Chiefs and the playoffs and the AFC Championship game two years ago did not get talked about because it was a terrible game. It was close for, like, a millisecond, and then it was done. And the only thing that I remember from that game, really, the only thing I remember is Josh Allen throwing the ball to D. Lyman. That is it. I can tell you almost everything that happened in that Bills-Chiefs playoff game last year, or earlier this year, I guess, and how painful it was when they lost. Yeah, it sucked when the Bills lost the AFC Championship game because you are one game away from the Super Bowl. But I think the Bills last year had a better chance at winning the Super Bowl than the Bills team from two years ago. This Bills team last year, and you can, you can take this however you want because I know what a lot of people are going to sit there and say. Like, oh, if I sit here and go, I think if the Bills beat the Chiefs, they route the Bengals and go to the Super Bowl. I know what people are going to say. Well, you lost the Chiefs who lost the Bengals, so how the hell are you going to beat the Bengals who beat the team that you lost to? 13 seconds, man. That was the difference. I don't think the Bengals beat the Bills. I could be completely wrong about that. I mean, we'll never know if I was right or wrong about that because it, the game, the series is over. Bengals went to the Super Bowl, they lost to the Rams. I will never be right or wrong about that statement because that never happened. Now, the Bills and Bengals play each other in the regular season this year, which is a totally different ballgame than the playoffs because that game, when the Bengals go play the Bills in the playoffs last year, earlier this year, that's in Buffalo. This game's in Cincinnati. And again, I'll never be right or wrong about that, which is why I always hate when like people talk about, if this quarterback was on this team, would they have won as much? Like, if Joe Montana was on, I don't know, this team, would they have won as much? Yeah, because it's Joe Montana. With Tom Brady, if he didn't have Bill Belichick, would he have won as much? Yeah, because it's Tom Brady. Tom Brady went to a Bucs team that was very good. They just had a quarterback that turned it over 40 times to- through 30 interceptions in the season. I don't know how many total of turnovers he had. So they went seven and nine. They weren't a bad team. They brought a lot of good players with. Like, they had solid players around him. And Tampa, Tom Brady just changed the mentality of that completely. Like the Chiefs were not going to AFC championship games before Joe Montana got there. Really? I know they won a Super Bowl. They won uh what Super Bowl was it? Super Bowl 3? No, Super Bowl 3 was the Jets one. They went to the first Super Bowl. I know they lost to the Packers. And they beat the Vikings in the Super Bowl. Was that Super Bowl 4? Because it was Packers Chiefs, Packers Raiders, Jets Colts, the Chiefs Vikings in the fourth one. Cuz then the Colts Cowboys was the fifth one, I think. I could be completely wrong. I know the first 3 are right. The Chiefs and the Cowboys ones Because the Colts beat the Cowboys in the Super Bowl, and I don't remember if that was four or five. It's not not important, but they weren't doing that until Joe Montana got there. They just changed the mindset of the organization. I know Joe Montana didn't win a Super Bowl with the Kansas City Chiefs like Tom Brady did with the Bucs. That does not take away from Joe Montana's greatness. greatness. Joe Montana won four Super Bowls. I think he won three MVPs, three or four MVPs. Won two Super Bowls without Jerry Rice, two Super Bowls with Jerry Rice. So the people that want to go, Joe Montana was made by Jerry Rice. I mean, he was winning without him, so I don't want to say who made who. Jerry Rice is the greatest wide receiver of all time, no question about it. But let's not discredit Joe Montana. Like, I kind of – I dis- I hate when they do that. Like, they do it now with the Bills. Josh Allen made Diggs. Diggs made Allen. No, they both made each other. Diggs was not this versus Stephon Diggs in Minnesota. He was not this. Stephon Diggs was the number two wideout to Adam Thielen in Minnesota. Everybody knew Diggs was insanely talented. But he just wasn't, Thielen was the guy. Thielen was the number one guy. Josh Allen had talent. Josh Allen went to the playoffs, won 10 games, was top 10 in total touchdowns before Diggs got there. And then when Diggs got there, they just combined, had this great chemistry, and now we're seeing these guys consistently in the top 25 in the NFL top 100 rankings. Which are, you know, you can take the rankings however you really want to. Do you agree? I don't think there's a lot of people that agree with Tom Brady being the number one player in the NFL. I don't think that's the case at all. But... Josh Allen being thirteen is ridiculous too. Mahomes being an eight is ridiculous. Like, whatever. That's whatever. Uh, that's whatever. Uh, but it's just exciting. It's just really, really exciting. Like, if I looked at, like, I'm not. I'm gonna spoil it. I have my. I don't have my NFL preview filmed or anything. But it's gonna come out at some point. It's not gonna be out before the Bills game. So my feelings about the Rams Bills game in the video might look a little bit more happy. I might not. I don't know if I'll talk about it or not. I probably won't I'm going I'm going to avoid talking about it because it'll be out after the game. I don't know if the Bills will win or lose that game and I'm not going to edit it out. Well, uh maybe I do. Maybe I could edit I could do two different reactions. And go like, "Oh, this is what happened. Oh, the Bills won, the Bills lost, whatever." But that is my Super Bowl prediction. Bills Rams is my Super Bowl prediction. We've talked about it at the beginning of the show how it's a potential Super Bowl preview and all that stuff. I think it's going to happen. I think it's going to happen. I think the Rams are going to go back to the Super Bowl. I don't know what else. the NFC is so like up in the air. Like you got the like, the Rams, Bucks. do the Packers have a realistic shot? Their defense is really good. Maybe Romeo Dubs develops into that elite wide receiver to replace Devontae Adams. Maybe it's Lazard. Maybe it's Christian Watson. Whatever. The Eagles and Cowboys. I saw Bart Scott saying Jameis Winston was going to win MVP or something like that. I, I, I don't know about that one, Chief. I don't know about that. Do the Vikings pro- stop shooting themselves in the foot? Do we have a battle of the two 0-4 Super Bowl teams, Bills Vikings, this year? The 49ers, do they ride Trey Lance to the Super Bowl? I don't know. There's all these different variables that could happen in the AFC. I think it's a lot less cut and dry. or more. What is that? Is it more cut and dry for the Rams? I think the Rams passed the Super Bowl is a lot easier than the Bills. The AFC, again, this offseason got a lot harder. A lot of great players came to the AFC this offseason. Like, you're going to have to compete. The AFC West is going to eat each other. I don't know how that division is going to end up. I my, one, like When we were talking about the fantasy football league, Kobe, was in this league, he asked me what I ranked the AFC West teams. I have no freaking idea. But I've, I know one thing, and this could, this could be wrong. This could be wrong. Maybe I'm may, hyping up the Chiefs more than I should. But I've watched the Patriots over these years, and when people said the Patriots are done, they weren't done. So when the Chiefs losing Tyreek Hill and the Chiefs defense not being very good and all this kind of all these different things, some people want to write off the Chiefs or think some people are like still holding the Chiefs high, but there's some people that are trying to underrate them a little bit. I have a hard time saying that they're the second, third, or fourth place team in this division. They have dominated as long as number 15 is the quarterback of the Chiefs, Andy Reid's the head coach, and Travis Kelsey's there. I have no issue saying they're the best team in the AFC West. I the Chargers are number two. I think the Broncos are three, Raiders four. And I, I don't, I'm not going to die on that hill. So do not come after me and say, oh, I don't think the Raiders are fourth. I think the Broncos are fourth or whatever. I'm not dying on that hill. I think the Chargers have, if we're talking about rosters, and this is going to sound stupid. This isn't going to make any real sense because I have them at number two. I think the Chargers have the best roster. But the Chargers thing is, they shoot themselves in the foot more than any team. Them and the Vikings shoot themselves in the foot more than any other teams in the NFL. There's no reason the Chargers should not have made the playoffs at least last year. And they were still, if they tied the Raiders, they would have both made the playoffs. Or if they, like, they just do all these things. They're like, why, why, why did you do that? Why, why did you do that? Or they'll have all these injuries, which are out of their control. I understand that. But there's things that Chargers are very snake bitten in regards to that. But so, like, I know they brought in Khalil Mack. I know they brought in JC Jackson. I think they'll be a very good team. Justin Herbert might win MVP this year. I think there's a realistic shot the Chargers can go to a Super Bowl this year. Like Eckler, Keenan Allen, they have a good offensive line, they have a solid defense if they could just stay healthy with Derwin James, Joey Bosa. We already brought up two others there too. But they shoot themselves in the foot. Like if you think you're going position by position, I think you're taking the Chargers more often than you are taking the Chiefs. Let's 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 play that game real quick. Okay, so quarterback, Mahomes, Herbert, toughest thing in the entire. Ah, well. Okay, I don't I – don't, right now, no, I don't think it's – I'm going to still stick with Mahomes. I don't – again, I think Herbert could realistically win MVP this year. I don't think that's out of the question. But I'm going to take Mahomes. Mahomes is still better. Running back. So we got one for the Chiefs, none for the Chargers. Running back. Austin Eckler's better than Clyde Lair. It's just simple. I think Clyde Lair, if used correctly, can be a very effective running back. I'd think Eckler's just better at what he does. They both do similar-ish things, but I think Eckler's a lot more effective in the run game than Clyro's Lair is. Nothing against Clyro's Lair. I loved him at LSU. He's a part of the the greatest college football team of all time, an LSU, 2019 LSU team. But I'd take Eckler. So one-to-one. Wide receivers. Juju. We're going to go with three. Juju, Sky Moore, Marquez Valdez-Scantling versus Keenan, Mike Williams, and Palmer. We're taking the Chargers. That's not even a that's not a tough contest at all. Tight end again, not a tough contest at all. That's Travis Kelsey. So we're two and two right now. We got Mahomes and Kelsey for the Chiefs, Herbert in the Chargers wide receiver core, or no, uh, uh, Eckler in the wide receiver core. Off the line, that's very close. Off the line, I wouldn't have said that about the Chiefs a few years ago, but their off the line is very good. Off the line is very very good. When they lost the Super Bowl, they looked at that and said, "We got eight and alive by the Chiefs." The, the Buccaneers off defensive line, we got to rectify that. They brought in Orlando Brown. He's looking to get paid. Brian Creed Humphrey. You brought in, oh, crap, Trey Smith from Tennessee. I think the right tackle was someone new. I can't remember what his name is. I don't remember who it is. Creed Humphrey's a freaking baller, one of the best centers in the NFL. Chargers, in their own right, Rayshon Slater, Corey Lindsley, arguably. I think you're talking about the two best centers in the NFL, Creed Humphrey and Corey Lindsley. I think, you're, I think you're actually talking about that. They brought in Zion Johnson this year from Boston College. Love that draft pick. They have faith in Trey Pipkins. Do I? Not necessarily, but they have faith in him. So off the line, I think you can honestly split right down the middle. I think you can go 50-50 with the off the line. Because I think both of their off the lines are very, very good. Which is weird to say about the Chargers. and the, the, Those two teams, I have never once said they have good off the lines. The Chiefs have had solid pieces on the off the line. Oh, Matt Filer's even there too. Oh, Storm Norton is the starting right tackle for the Chargers, I guess. I just pulled up their depth chart. So, yeah, I might lean Chargers. I might lean Chargers. Let's pull up the Chiefs one. Let's pull up the Chiefs one. So, you got Orlando Brown, Joe, Thune, Joe Tooney, very good guard. So, we got him versus Matt Filer. Creed, Trey Smith, Andrew Wiley. So, both teams' weak spots in the offensive line are the right tackle. They brought they brought they drafted Darian Leonard, Darian Kennard from Kentucky. Love that draft pick. So that he, I bet he could push Wiley for that starting spot at some point. But I like him a lot. Uh, I'm going to – you know what? Uh, crap. I don't know about Zion Johnson because I know he's a great run block. I love his story. Dude came from zero star, went to Davidson, transferred to Boston College, became an All-American, drafted 17th overall – seventeen 18th? 17th, I don't remember which pick exactly, but that's 50-50. I really, I think that's 50-50, and I think I can feel fine saying that. I really think I can. I feel perfectly content saying that. Their two strongest positions on their off-the-line are left tackle and center. Same with the Chargers. Both of them. Both left guards are veterans, right guards are young players. Zion Johnson's a rookie, Trey Smith's in the second year. And then right tackle's a weak spot. They got right-handed quarterbacks, though, so they should be able to maneuver around that as just enough. I think that's 50-50. Like you, you take you take Slater over Brown, arguably. Well, you take Tooney over Filer, or you take Filer over Tooney. I would probably take Lindsley over Humphrey. Right now, I think it's hard not to say Trey over Johnson, and right tackle, probably t- I neither. I don't, So it's ties two and two, and that's questionable in all, all of those spots. Then we look at the defensive side of things. This is where the Chiefs struggle a little bit more. Now they both play a 3-4 defense. Uh yeah, they both play a 3-4 defense. Defense lines. You have to take the Chiefs. You have to take the Chiefs. Chris Jones playing as well, no, the Chiefs. The Chief, I'm sorry. The Chiefs play in a 4 3. Chiefs play in a 4 3. You got Chris Jones at D tackle. Frank Clark's still there. You to George Kolaftis from Purdue. And you look at the Chargers D line. Jerry Tillery, Austin Johnson, Sebastian Joseph Day, who's a decent player on the defense line. I think they brought him in for the Rams. So you probably lean Chiefs towards the line, linebacking core, Bosa, Kyle Van Noy, Drew Tranquil, and Cleo Mack. They got Kyle Van, like, I, Kyle Van Noy as a backup for Joey Bosa as well. You got Kenneth Murray, who's a first round draft pick last year. Nick Neiman from Iowa, and then for the Chiefs, I like the Chiefs one: Nick Bolton, Willie Gray, and Leo Chenault. Leo Chenault from Wisconsin. Nick Bolton, second-year guy from Missouri. It's kind, of, it's unfair because you got four defensive linemen for the Chiefs versus three for the Chargers, three linebackers for the Chiefs, four for the Chargers. I'm probably leaning Chargers because the Chiefs, though I like their potential with Chenault and Bolton, neither one of those guys are anywhere near Bosa and Mack levels. And I know they're different positions. I understand that, but they're just not at that level right now. And you look at secondary. You have to go Chargers. You have to go Chargers. Like not even close. I like the players the Chiefs brought in though. Bringing Trent McDuffie in, love that. Bringing Justin Reed in, love that. Love those. Love those pickups. Trent McDuffie traded up in the first round, got him. Justin Reed, they brought him in in free agency. Like, but the Chargers, like they brought the Chiefs brought in Justin Reed, the Chargers brought in J.C. Jackson. Like, <laughs> I like Justin Reed. I like Justin Reed. good, Very good safety. J.C. Jackson's Mr. INT. Like, he is one of the best corners in the NFL. And even behind him. They brought in Bryce Callahan in the slot. They got Asante Samuel Jr. Michael Davis is still very good. Safeties. Derwin James. I've talked about the best safety in the NFL. Nasir Adderley is a very solid safety from Delaware, but he's got J.T. Woods from Baylor backing him up, who could take his spot at any point. So you have to take the Chargers. You have to take the Chargers secondary. So you're taking the Chargers, linebackers, and secondary. Like, if you even if you want to go take corners versus safety, it's the Chargers either way. I'm not – It's because not, then you're really only competing Derwin James versus Justin Reed, and if Derwin James is the best in the position, you're not taking the other safety. So regardless of how good they are. So you're – like, just doing that, you would take the Chargers. So the Chargers went on linebackers, defensive backs, wide receiver, and running back. Right? Is that all we said, safe to corner. Okay. Well, we're gonna to have to break this up. We're gonna to have to break this up because we broke up. Well, we had the offensive line as a unit, but we had so we had offensive line, wide receivers, tight end, running back, quarterback, defensive line, linebackers, secondary. So we had three. So that's okay. Well, there's more people in these units, so it's kind of hard to judge that. But the Chargers secondary and linebacking core. So we got two versus one on the Chiefs, uh, two for the Chargers on defense, one for the Chiefs on defense, and then we were tied on offense. So the Chargers come away with a one-point victory. It's close, but I like the Chargers' roster more. But that being said, again, the Chiefs have been there, done that, the Chargers shoot themselves in the foot more, almost more than anybody else in the league. So it's kind of hard to say the Chiefs, just because the Chargers' roster better, this does, it probably makes zero sense. I hope you're get, I hope I'm making somewhat sense to try and explain this situation. But, roster roster's better. I still think the Chiefs are the best team in this division. Does that make any sense? <laughs> Probably not. I I don't know. Maybe it does, maybe it makes absolutely no sense. But I'm trying. I'm trying here. And for the Broncos and Raiders, nitpicking. I guess I think the Broncos' defense is better. I like. Hey. No te- no offense to the Raiders. Like Matt Crosby, they brought in Chandler Jones as well. Rocky Sin came in from the Colts and basically did a swap deal with Yannick Ngakwe and Rocky Sin with the Colts. Secondary, brought in Sin. Who else they got in their secondary for the Raiders? Nate Hobbs, he was a pretty good player for them. Trevor- Trayvon Moring, they drafted him last year from TCU. live macking core, Dia- Divine Diablo. Denzel Perriman, former Charger player. Jayon Brown... It's it's fine. It's not a terrible defense. It's not a terrible defense. offensive line stinks. We know that. They just cut Alex Leatherwood. But they have Darren Waller, Devontae Adams, Hunter Renfro, Josh Jacobs, Derek Hart. Like, that's a good unit right there. O-line's not very good apart from Colton Miller. And then the defense is just all right. And then you look at the Broncos. They got Russell Wilson. They got better running backs. At least a better unit of running backs. Because I know a lot of people still like Josh Jacobs. You've got Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon. Courtney's, I think their receiving receiving cores uh, potentially deeper. No, Tim Patrick's injured, so I guess not. The Raiders got the two best guys right there, Hunter Renfro and Devontae Adams, but I think the Broncos might be. If, if Tim Patrick was healthy, they'd have a deeper core. But like Sutton, Judy, Hamler, they had Tim Patrick, but he he got hurt. Albert O at tight end, you'd, you'd definitely take. Greg Dolchich from UCLA, he's on IR, rookie. But you take Darren Waller. Darren Waller's a top five tight end easily. He's like you have the you have the well, top four because the fifth one's kind of controversial. But the, top, the four tight ends, the NFL top four NFL tight ends, are undisputed and in no particular Kittle, Kelsey, Waller, Andrews. <laughs> That's it. If you're trying to put someone in there, you're just trying too hard. Like you got Pitts, you got Hawkinson. Is that it for that outside group? I think those are the last two you can argue about for fifth. Maybe I'm forgetting about somebody, but I think those are it. Off the line underrated unit like you got Garrett Bowles Dalton Risner Lloyd Cushenberry who's also part of the LSU team Quinn Miners and Billy Turner I think Billy Turner came from the Packers or is he a is he a Broncos through and through guy I thought he was a Packers guy at one point I could be wrong hold on oh you was okay he was a Packers guy he was a Packers guy he's their right tackle they oh they just brought him in this offseason okay I was like <laughs> I've seen him in Packers stuff I had to see him in Packers stuff but he's lining up at right tackle. That's not a bad unit. It's a young unit. They drafted four of those guys, which I like. I like building the team from within like that. I like I like draft, especially off the linemen. The Saints do the same thing. Like, all the Saints off the linemen, well, Trevor Penning's hurt right now. All the Saints guys are drafted with relatively high picks. These guys, I think, Bulls was a first-rounder, I know that. Miners, I think, was a third-rounder because he was a D3 guy. So it's kind of hard to just – yeah, he was a third-rounder. Cushenberry was a second-round pick, right? Oh, he was a third-round pick from LSU. And Dalton Risner was a second-rounder. I know that one because he cause I, the Bills liked Dalton Risner. And I liked Dalton Risner as well. I thought the Bills were going to draft him. They drafted Cody Ford instead. And I think they would have been better with Dalton Risner. Um, but, yeah, O-line's good. Defense, they traded away some key piece like Shelby Harris went to Seattle. But Draymond Jones – Randy Gregory, they brought him in from Dallas. Big get. They got Nick Benito, rookie from Oklahoma, very good player. Bradley Chubb, if he can stay healthy, he's a very good player. Josie Jewell's an all-right linebacker. Come from Iowa, so you got to like him. Then secondary, Ronald Darby, if he can stay healthy, he's very solid. Then got Pat Sertan, Kareem Jackson, Justin Sims, Justin Simmons. Like, it's a good – the Broncos have a solid, solid team. Solid, solid team. So I, I – and again, this isn't like – One team is miles above one team. Or, like, the gap between first and last place in this division is not very big. And I think all teams in this division will finish above 500. I think all teams will. I don't think all teams are going to make the playoffs. I think there's other good teams in the AFC that will be challenging for that spot because you look at some of the other wildcard teams or potential wildcard teams, like the Dolphins, they're going to be mentioned up there. I don't know about the Patriots, but the Dolphins, I think, will be better what they were. I don't, I don't know how much better, because you look at their records. Kind of Remember when the Jets went 7-9 uh, and nine a few years ago? And everybody was talking about the Jets won six of their last eight games or something like that, but they played the worst teams in the NFL during that time span? Remember that? Like, that was kind of the Dolphins last year. The Dolphins started off horrifically, and then they won their last however many games because they played the worst teams in the NFL. So it's kind of hard to think, like, the Dolphins are going to go getting Mike McDaniels, getting Tyreek Hill, getting Taron Armstead, and all these guys in, that they're going to jump from, a what, what a nine wins last year, eight wins last year, to a potential 12-win team. I don't see that happening. I don't really see that happening. I don't really, as a general thing, I don't really have an issue with Tua. I think the propaganda around Tua is annoying, but I don't really have an issue with him. I don't think he's that great, but, I mean, they could make the playoff. I think they could be someone that makes the playoffs. And then you've got the Bengals and Ravens. One of those two teams is going to win the AFC North, and the other one's going to make the wild card. I think the the Ravens cannot be – the thing with the Ravens, they can't be worse than what they were last year because they can't have that many injuries. I refuse to believe they're going to have that many injuries. Their secondary was all USFL players, pretty much. Not really, but like players that would have played in the USFL, not really NFL guys. They had no running backs. Ronnie Stanley got hurt again. Lamar Jackson got hurt. They were injured to hell and back. They were one of the most injury, injured team last year. I don't know if that's accurate, but they had to be at least top two most injured teams last year. But like they led the league in passing yards allowed last year. And this is the Ravens. This isn't like some bum franchise. This is the Baltimore Ravens who have been a consistent franchise ever since they became a thing. And under John Harbaugh, they've rarely been below five hundred. Rarely. I think they went 5-11 one year, and that was insane that they were that bad. They went seven and what what did it go seven and ten last year eight and nine, it was ridiculous. It's the Ravens. I refuse to believe they're going to be that bad this year. And then you've got the teams we mentioned the AFC West. And then you've got the Colts and the Titans. So teams we mentioned, we got the Dolphins, Bengals, Ravens. Whichever team one team's not going to win that division, and the Colts, Titans, same thing there. I don't think the AFC South Colts, Titans. I don't think the team that comes second there makes the playoffs. So the team that comes in second in that division, I think, is missing out in the playoffs. Ravens and Bengals, I think, both make the playoffs. Dolphins, I think, are a mystery because that all depends on the Broncos and Raiders situation. I think the Chargers are making the playoffs. I think if Herbert's going to be an MVP candidate, I can't see them miss the playoffs. I really don't believe that. So that's my take on the AFC side of things. I'm not going to go over records or anything because i got a video coming out for that. But like, if you look over to the NFC side, you've got some solid teams there. We kind of went over that a little bit ago. But the only division where you're going to have a mystery winner is the AFC or the NFC East. It's between the Eagles and Cowboys. The Eagles, and I think this is crazy, that he got put, when looking in hindsight, like looking at how their NFL careers are right now and how they're viewed by their respective, like by fans and stuff, Jalen Hurts is a better quarterback than Tua. He's just a better quarterback than Tua. I just think that the Eagles are afraid to commit to him. Long, well, it's not, I don't think, I know, they're f- seemingly afraid to commit to him long-term. He does have some inconsistencies in the past game. I'm aware of that, but his ceiling is higher than Tua's. At this point, that's subject to change, but they brought in a lot of pieces to help him out. Their defense is good. They're old team, but their old line is good. Their defense is good. They're a run-first team, which fits Jalen Hurts' strengths. They brought in A.J. Brown, who just came from a run-first team, so he's used to run-blocking, which is big. And he's a great wide receiver. Win healthy, that's a key thing. Win healthy. They brought Devontae Smith in. Dallas Goddard's still there. Eagles are a good team. Cowboys, very good team as well. Dak played really well. Or is a good quarterback. He's a good quarterback. Zeke Tony Pollard, really solid 1-2 back system. They traded Amari Cooper, but they got CeeDee Lamb. They brought in Jalen Tolbert. Uh, Michael Gallup, I think, still there, if he's healthy. He got Was it last year when he got hurt? Or was it two years ago when he got hurt? Well, I like the Jalen Tolbert. Jalen Tolbert's a baller from South Alabama. And then you've got Dalton Schultz there as well. Off the line, I'm concerned about just because they're getting older. Probably Jason Peters, which I don't know what he's going to do in regards to playing, but as a locker room president, I think that's very big. Tyler Smith. I'm intrigued to see what he does. Very young player. I think he's 21 right now. I think he's the youngest player in the draft. But talent-wise, he has the potential to be very, very good. And having guys like Jason Peters and Tyron Smith there, very big for him. Love that for him. We'll see if he does it this year, if he's going to start this year. I'm not a big fan of Beattas at center. Not a massive fan of him. Losing Lyle Collins is big as well. Went up to Cincinnati. And then on defense, you lost Randy Gregory, which is big. He brought in Anthony Barr from Minneapolis. I don't know why I said it like that. Minnesota, he brought him from the Vikings. Trayvon Diggs, we know how good he is, but we also know how... I, I don't know. I don't Wasteful's not the right word, but how... Because I understand why he's doing this, and I, I listened to, the, I think it was the Pivot podcast, which I brought up before on the show. I listened to an interview they did with Jalen Ramsey, and I he said something about he's playing open, which allows him to get more interceptions, but it also makes him susceptible to getting beat deep. It's just a matter of fact how he plays. Like, he's going to get the big play, yeah, but he's going to give up a shit ton of yards, which is what he did last year. He had like 12 picks and 1,100 yards given up or something like that. Good corner. I don't want to take anything away from. Him. I think he's a very good corner, but that style is very uh, hit or miss. Very hit or miss. It's like the run and shoot offense of the '90s. Like it's that. If you're, if it works, it works well. But if it's, if it's not working, oh god, there's not a lot of things that are worse than it. If it's not working. Like the Bengals or the Bengals, the Oilers were are are arguably the most famous run and shoot offense in NFL history. The Houston Oilers in the '90s late 80s, early 90s, with Warren Moon. most famous run-and-shoot offense. When they lost the Bills in the playoffs, and the Bills had the greatest playoff comeback of all time, again, that's not me being biased, it's factual, I mean, just regards to how many points they came back from. The problem with the run-and-shoot offense is that when it's working, it's working well. And you saw that the entire game, the Oilers were killing the Bills. But when you need to see a game out, it doesn't shut off. And then you start noticing that the other team's coming back because you're not running the ball because it's not a part of your system. And it can leave you susceptible to getting beat if you're leading late in a game because you're going to risk stopping the clock more. Like, yeah, when it's working, Trayvon Diggs is going to have a thousand interceptions. But when it's not, he's going to get beat deep fairly easily. And that's what we saw last year. But 12, 11, 12 interceptions, but 1100 yards given up. It's really weird to look at it like that, but he is a good player. He is a good player. And yeah, I think it's just between those two teams, the giants and commanders. I'm not really thinking too much about them. I'm not really worried about it. It's, <laughs> it's just not something that I'm, that's I'm occupying too much space in my head about the giants and commanders potentially taking the division. I don't see it, but he guards the North. I think the Vikings will be better. I think the lions will be better. I think the bears are going to be bad. Uh, Then you got NFC South. Panthers should be better. I don't agree with the fact that adding Baker Mayfield makes the Panthers a playoff team. I don't agree with that at all. Then you look at the Saints' talented roster. Can Jameis just play as well as he did last year before he got hurt? Because he was playing well. He was playing really good before he got hurt. And can he maintain that going into the season? Because remember, he got LASIK. He could see now, so now he could play. And then NFC West. The two West divisions of the NFL are just loaded. Like, Apart from, I guess, the Seahawks. Seahawks are not going to be very good. But the Cardinals, they're going to explode towards the end of the year, which is what the Cliff Kingsbury teams do in general. And the Niners, they'll go as far as Trey Lance can get them. If Trey Lance is as good as what I think and a lot of people think he can be and what he will be, they could go very far. They go very, very far. There's so much more things they can do with him at quarterback than they could with Jimmy Garoppolo. But if he's not very good... Then they could. I could see them struggling a little bit, but they do have Jimmy Garoppolo back as a backup, so we'll see how that one works out. Which is very strange, but I understand to a certain extent why he is back. But I'm, I'm very excited to see what Trey Lance does, and I'll be cheering. Like if I was doing like teams, I would like to see in the Super Bowl, but I don't want to because I don't want to. I don't want to see them beat each other. Is the Niners and Bills? I like the Niners. I love Joe Montana. I love watching those old school. I love Steve Young. I love watching all those old school Niners things. And if I had to choose an NFC team, it'd be the Niners. I don't know if I had to like pick a favorite out of the NFC, like not necessarily the best team, but teams that I, I just like and respect their history. It's the Niners. Those are my two favorites going division wise or conference wise. But I think the Rams are making the Super Bowl. And I think the only two teams that again are three teams that are really competing for the Rams, Bucks, and Packers. And I think the Bucks, like realistically, the Bucks lost what three members of their offensive line this offseason? I think three of them. Because Ryan Jensen just got hurt. I think they lost three. Brady's getting older. I know they brought in Julio. They're an older team. And I know Brady was voted the best player in the NFL. I don't know. I, I've Again, I said this with the Chiefs earlier. I've watched the, the Patriots too much in my life to think Tom Brady's done. But there is part of me that does think that more this year than ever. I don't know why. I don't know why. I don't know why <laughs> but that I have lived my entire life saying Tom Brady is never out and now I've have that sliver it's very small very minuscule part of me it's like Tom Brady might be done I know he just led the league in passing yards he did all these things like I don't know maybe the stuff off the field comes to show on the field and he can't play maybe that's the I would I would like to see a Bill's Buck Super Bowl I would really like to see that but then it would be one of those cases where it'd be, you beat the dude that has beaten you thirty three times in his career, guy you've never really had gotten the upper hand on, or Tom Brady, the greatest enemy in Buffalo Bills history, beats you in the Super Bowl. So the are the does the win equal the same as the loss or is the loss? Like I, I don't know. I don't know which one's greater. Like when I the feeling of losing Tom Brady, not only just losing him again, but losing the Super Bowl, or the feeling of beating Tom Brady, not only beating Tom Brady but in the Super Bowl, there's, a, there's two things there, very interesting to think about. But one thing that like with the NFL, and I am excited for the NFL, and I have these discuss not, I I shouldn't say I have these discussions, I see these discussions all the time, mainly on Twitter, about when you look at the NFL versus college football, which one is better. Like a lot of people are, have their opinions, especially here in the state of Iowa, where you don't have an NFL team, and Iowa and Iowa State. Sorry, you and I. Sorry, Drake's. Sorry, all the other Iowa schools. Iowa and Iowa State are king in the state, especially for football, especially for football. So when you look at like what's better, you watch college football games. You'll go like, wow. Uh, you watch Texas A and M versus somebody, or watch Iowa Michigan at uh, at Kinnick Stadium at night, or watch. What, uh, Florida, Utah, or you watch, I don't know, what other games were like really, really like home field was Bum, Virginia Tech night games, Clemson night games, all these different games. You're like, wow, how can you not love college football? And then you go out west and then you see like UCLA versus whoever, where they have 5,000 people in the stands, or just like any team in California. But you could say, like, the Rams have a very big. Like, they get decent amount of fans in the stands, but the NFL is more corporate, so you can get more businesses in there and all stuff like that. But, like, 5,000 people, 27,000 people at UCLA game, bull crap, that's 27,000. Look at the pictures of that. You tell me that's 20... I know the Rose Bowl's a big stadium. That ain't 27,000 people. That is not 27,000 people. That is sad. Like, you can get a lot of small venues in college football. There's so many college football teams, and they're more tied in their community. Some of them... More tied in their communities than NFL teams. Not necessarily in Buffalo. They like the Buffalo Bulls up there, but they're a Buffalo Bills town. And it's always interesting to see, like, these cities that have NFL teams on and, and big-time college programs on which ones are, which what is king in this state. And we are in Iowa, so we don't have a real grasp about which one's king. Like, I bet in L.A., you'd probably say, at least in their prime, USC. But that being said, I think the king in L.A. is the Raiders. I don't even play there. I think the Raiders are king in L.A. You look down in what's another example of a team like a big time college program. I mean, I'm trying to think. Did I say one earlier? Buffalo and the Bills. Yeah, I mean the Bulls and the Bills. Yeah, that one's Bills easily. Anybody else? Like, there's a. Do so you look like in Missouri where they have the Chiefs? Like Columbia is not close to that where the Missouri Tigers are. Austin is kind of close to Dallas, but the Cowboys run Dallas. The Cowboys run Texas. Even though Texas has you know Texas has their following, but is Texas bigger than the Cowboys? What's bigger, the Cowboys or Texas? I think that's a thing that, that is an interesting topic. About when you look at NFL cities versus college cities, like Arizona State versus the Cardinals, which one's bigger? Like, it's easy for people in Iowa to say college football is bigger because we don't have the opportunity to go to Iowa, like NFL games. We never were born into it. People that are fans of NFL teams here in the state of Iowa, most of them never go to a game. And they've rooted for their teams their entire lives. They've never been to a game, but they've been to hundreds of Iowa or Iowa State games. So you're around it more. But I don't know. That is all, I find it on Twitter all the time. And if I'm speaking for me, I think college football is a better product than the NFL. And I think the thing with college football that makes it so exciting is that you have those passionate fan bases that are generations upon generations. Like my grandpa went to this school. His grandpa went to this school. His grandpa went to this school. school. I went to this school. All these different things. The history around college football and doing all these different things. And the different offenses. The different defenses. is so much more experimental like, there was topics about, would this work in the NFL? And the NFL is slowly, slowly, slowly getting into that aspect of, we can have some fun at the quarterback position. We don't need to be pocket guys anymore. Like, some exciting quarterback, like Eric Crouch, never worked in the NFL as a quarterback, went into the safety in the NFL. All these exciting college football players, that has never really worked out in the NFL. Like, college football, you have more pageantry than the NFL. But I don't which one which I don't know which one I I, I think college football is a better product, but I do which one do I find I mean we talk more about I think there's more storylines in the NFL than there are in college. And I do get the argument we're going on the opposite side of like college football versus the NFL. Like people talk about the differences like more community based, more fun to watch, more atmospheric than the NFL, which I agree with those things to a certain extent. But then one of my friends, I was talking to him this about this last night when we were watching Clemson-Georgia Tech. The the turnover in players, you don't become attached to these players like you did do in the NFL. Like He's a Vikings fan, so he grew up watching Adrian Peterson play for the Vikings for eight years or eight or nine years or whatever. And then you have players that have played, like a started one year in college. You just don't have that same connection with those players. So I understand that, but then in college you're more... Connected to the university than you are to the players. Like, I, I don't know if you could go around and ask people, like, your favorite college player currently. You go, favorite team, NFL, you go, who's your favorite NFL player? Now, there are a lot less NFL players than college players, and I hate the topic when people bring this up about could Alabama beat the Browns when, like, the Browns were terrible, when they went 0 16. That answers, that's the dumbest question of all time because the Browns are a culmination of the best players from college. Alabama is the best players from high school. Not every player on Alabama is going to make it to the NFL. Every player on the Browns is already in the NFL. So it doesn't matter. There's grown men taking on 18-year-olds. It's not going to, Alabama is never going to beat them. I remember there was talks about Kentucky Wildcats basketball beating the the 96 Bulls. Like, it's never going to happen. Yes, they're a very good college team, but a college team will never beat a pro team. Uh, NFL team. I think a college team could beat a USFL team. I think a college team could beat an XFL team or an AAF team or whatever. I think they could beat that. NFL never happening. NBA never happening. Like, it's not happening. But I enjoy the hell out of college football and I'm excited for this Saturday. We got Iowa State. We're going to preview it. Whoa, what? Am I going to be able to do this? On th- I got to figure out how I want to do this because I don't, I really don't know how I'm going to get this preview in. Because so I got the Bills game Thursday, I got to record something. Well, I got to record the preview tomorrow, at some point. I don't know how I'm going to do all this because I got—I want to preview Iowa State more because we're, we've been talking for a, a long ass time. And it is it—we're already talking for over an hour, and I've still got something big. I want to go over my week one quarterback rankings. Like I still have to do that. I can't do that on Friday. I Do it on Wednesdays. We did it on Wednesdays last year. We're doing it on Wednesdays this year. Like it's just a consistent thing. But Iowa State, big game. I'm just going to give you like the short spiel of this. I feel less confident going into this game than I did after watching week one. And I think both sets of fans, I bet about uh, 60 to 70% of them, so let's just call it 69%. It's nice in the middle. Let's call it 69% of each set of fans doesn't think their team's going to win. Because after watching Iowa against South Dakota State, I don't know how you can justify being 100% confident you're going to beat Iowa State. I don't care if it's at home. You just scored seven points with no offensive touchdowns against South Dakota State. I don't care. I don't know how confident you're going to be going into Iowa State week, a team that has not beat you in six years. And I understand that. They haven't won six years. They're going to be motivated more than ever. In Kinnick. They just watched Iowa put up a massive stinker against South Dakota State. The problem is, can Iowa State's offense they played Southeast Missouri State. Are they going to be able to do the same things against Southeast Missouri State against Iowa? No. They're not going to do that. It's not going to be the same at all. Iowa's defense is one of the top in the FBS level. SEMO's is not, even on the FCS level. It's one of the worst. One of the bottom ones. They're not a good football team. South Dakota State at least has the, they're a good football team. I'm not, I'm not using that to bash Iowa State or anything. It's just two different styles. I think Iowa should have beat South Dakota State by a lot more than what they did. I think they should have beaten them by 10 at least. Not 4 with no touchdowns. That's not what I was hoping for. But it's just it's just weird. I don't think there's a lot of Iowa fans confident. I don't think there's a lot of Iowa State fans confident. Because Iowa State fans, and I, I'm speaking from this outside perspective, I'm just going off what I can what I've taught to Iowa when I've taught to Iowa State fans before the season started and the ones I've taught to since Saturday. You got Iowa State fans that like I said, Iowa State isn't one in six years. This is the first game in Kinnick in, I think, four years. Iowa's defense is very, very good. Iowa State has got a new quarterback, a new running back that played well, but it's hard to judge how good they're going to be against Southeast Missouri State when they go up against Iowa. It's two completely different opponents. So Iowa State fans feel good after their win, feel confident about what the offense is going to do, because you saw what it did against a bad team, and you saw what happened last year. Iowa's offense was not good last year, and I know they beat Indiana. I think by like thirty to nothing. I think I understand that, but the defense set up most of those touchdowns. Iowa's offense did not play very good in that game. Indiana's offense was nothing; they were absolutely nothing. They had Ty Fry Fogle and a broken Michael Penix. They had nothing go for them offense. So it was hard to judge how good Iowa was, and Iowa State just had a very bad game against you and I. A game there for some reason. I don't even think you can find an Iowa State fan that bet this. Fair by 30-plus points against you and I. Don't know why that was the case. And just watching last year, Iowa didn't play very well offensively. But Iowa State played terrible. Iowa State did not play very good. It does not matter how good – it seemingly, it does not matter how good Iowa is or how bad they are or whatever, how bad their offense is. The Iowa State fans, from what I've seen on Twitter – and maybe this is just like trying to play it down so, like, they don't actually mean it, but it's a case of if they do lose, oh, well, I knew they were going to lose anyways. Maybe it's one of those situations. I don't know. Because some of these are parody account. At least one of them is a parody account, I know. But I don't know if it's serious or not. But knowing how Iowa's offense plays and how good their defense is, two complete opposites of each other, it just makes it hard to predict this game at all. Like, I don't know what to predict. I think Iowa's the favorite. I I don't know. At least that's the last time I saw What's the line? 3.5 for Iowa, and according to ESPN, Iowa State's the favorite. Like, Iowa State's almost got a 60% chance to beat Iowa, according to ESPN, but Iowa's a a 3.5-point favorite. I don't know. Iowa totaled a measly 166 yards of total offense on Saturday. So I'm not really, like, the most confident I've ever been in my entire life but an Iowa-Iowa State game. I'm not that confident at all. Now, this might surprise you. This might be very surprising. Neither one of them were ranked in the top 25 this week. I know. I know. I was surprised you when I saw that. Not only that, uh, neither one of them were receiving votes either, <laughs> which is just upsetting. Very upsetting. But, hey, on a positive note, UNI is still ranked in the top 25 of the FCS. They're ranked 24th. They dropped three spots down. This is not the stats FCS rank. This just the coaches poll. I'm on ESPN, so this is how we got it. But South Dakota State, uh, they're stuck at, they're still at number three. Like The top five in FCS level is uh, North Dakota State, Montana, South Dakota State, Monta- Montana State, and Villanova. And then rounding it out, South Carolina State, Missouri State, East Tennessee State, Incarnate Word, Ch- and Chattanooga. And Southern Illinois dropped 10 spots after getting blasted week one by what? They got blasted by Incarnate Word, right? Yeah. Surprising as hell. Don't know how that game happened. I'm not surprised. South- I'm not necessarily surprised Incarnate Word won, but just by how much they won by. I did not think Southern Illinois was going to get blasted like that week one. But over the FBS level... Nothing too surprising here. There's a couple things I'm very surprised about, and we'll get to them in a little bit. Well, so how high some teams jumped up, and how some how far some teams fell. So one, two, three. Uh, Georgia and Al- Georgia and Ohio State flip spots, which I mean is un. I mean it's kind of unfair. I mean they both Ohio State played top five or Georgia played a top ten, top fifteen team, but Georgia blew them out of the water. So I mean, yeah, Georgia. I I understand, that, but Alabama still won. Michigan jumping up four spots after beating Colorado State surprises me. That was a shocking one. Like, I know Notre Dame lost. I know Utah lost. But did Michigan – four spots? So they jumped Clemson, who didn't play very good yesterday against Georgia Tech. They didn't play – I know the scoreline represents that they blew them out 41-10. to They did not play very good yesterday. Jeff Sims, very good game for Georgia Tech. Great game. DJU, still not convinced by him at all. Very conservative game plan. Very boring offense with a very talented, skill-wise quarterback. They just don't utilize him like that for whatever reason. So they dropped to five. Michigan jumped up from eight to four. We have A.M. sticking at six. Oklahoma moved up two spots to seven. Notre Dame dropped three spots and losing Ohio State to eighth. Baylor jumped up to ninth. USC jumped up four spots to 11. But there are some weird performances from teams above USC that were kind of re- – I understand them moving up. But they jumped Oklahoma State. Florida, this was a weird one. We said Florida would move to 19 in the new rankings. They jumped all the way to unranked to 12th like that. I don't know. That's – I like Florida. I love Anthony Richardson. We've been talking about him for a year. I like the guy. I like Florida. I like Bill Napier. 12 seems pretty high. Utah came in at 13. They dropped six spots. Then Michigan State, Miami. Arkansas moved up three spots to 16. Pitt stayed pat at 17. NC State, after a missed field goal away from losing their opening game and dropping them out completely out of the top 25, uh, NC State dropped five spots after beating East Carolina by one. I think that's fair. Wisconsin dropped one spot. They beat Illinois State. Kentucky stayed pat at 20. BYU moved up four spots to 21 after killing USF. Ole Miss dropped down one spot. Wake Forest dropped down one spot. And, hey, big news for Wake Forest. I don't know if he's actually going to play or not, but Sam Hartman has been medically cleared to return to football. This Saturday he can play. I don't know if he will because it's against Vanderbilt. So, maybe, Well, Vanderbilt's looked good. Mike Wright's looked really good. So maybe he will. Maybe he will return. I think that's cool. Sam Hartman's one of the best quarterbacks in college football, so I would love to see him return. Tennessee moved into the top 25, and they're number 24. And Houston dropped one spot after their close game with UTSA. And then Oregon... After getting ass slapped, I think forty nine to three against Georgia. Yeah, they dropped out. And then Cincinnati, they lost to Arkansas, and they were twenty. They were twenty third. So I mean, you lost. You're gonna fall out because sadly for Cincinnati, there's gonna be teams that are undefeated going into the top twenty five. So you're gonna drop out if you lose your first game of the season. It's not. It's not fair all the time. But that's just sometimes how the cookie crumbles. And right now there are two teams, at least, I'm, unless I'm missing them completely. Two teams that are zero one in college football right now in the top twenty-five. That's Notre Dame and Utah. I could be missing them, but that's how it works right now. Coaches poll don't care. I I hate when people give credit to the coaches poll, but hey, Florida came in at nineteen on the coaches poll, so maybe we should give more credit than what I what I've given up because that, that's what we said they were coming in. I, I think is a little high, but uh, yeah, I understand NC State dropping down as far as they did. East Carolina's not a very good team, and they should have lost that game. And uh, yeah, what other team? Utah dropping six spots. I think that's really harsh given how close that game with Florida was. I think dropping that, that seven to thirteen, the, dropping farther than NC State did after a one point win against East Carolina versus Utah's two point loss, three what two three point loss to Florida in Florida. Like it wasn't like it was at home. And maybe I should give NC State because I think this game was at East Carolina, yeah. So maybe I should state maybe I should take that back. But six spots for losing to Florida, I guess Florida was unranked and you were a top ten team, so maybe that's the case. But Florida is a—they were a good team. I would you—you listen to me preseason, talk about how people were ranking like ESPN ranked Auburn above them. I thought it said how crazy that one was. I think they're better than AM too. I know I made it seem like AM's ass when I said it on the show, but <laughs> that's not they're not ass. I just think Florida's got some ta- really talented players. Defensively, they're a little shaky, but you know what? Offensively, Bill Napier, love what he's doing. And with that being said, we got so well, let's go let, nah, Well, we got some fun game. Well, I guess we'll talk about them with the quarterbacks. Those are the only games we really care about when regards to uh, this week at College Football. Blah. blah. Uh, okay. Let's get into this. I'm, my eyes are so itchy. My allergies are kicking my ass right now. They're kicking my ass, and I did not do this earlier. Completely forgot about it. Make sure you're following Logan Blackman Show on every single form of social media: Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, InterCourse Apple Podcast, Spotify. Follow me on Twitter at Logan underscore Blackman. Instagram is Blackman Logan. The show's Instagram account is the Logan Blackman Show One. Facebook and YouTube search Logan Blackman Show they should pop up. Subscribe and follow both of them. Give a like on Facebook as well. Watch a few videos, Watch a few, look at a few posts. We're going to have a new post there tomorrow or for today, so make sure you go to the Facebook, any form of social media. You can get the link to the blog blog post for the top 10 quarterbacks from week one for the NFL draft. Or you can just go to LoganBatmanShow.com and you can click on the blog tab on the top of the screen and you can view it from there as well. And make sure you heart it. I've never told people to do this because I kind of forget it's a thing you can do. You can heart blog posts as well, so you can do that as well. I would greatly appreciate it. And you can also check out the other things we got on the website. But, of course, most importantly, make sure you're following and or subscribed to the Apple Podcast and Spotify account you're listening to right now. So make sure you're following on both. Leave a rating of five stars on both as well. And, of course, leave a description down below and tell us why you feel the way you do about the show. Now, let's get to these Week 1 Quarterback Prospect Rankings brought to you by the Logan Lightman Show. Oh, 2023 Week 1 Quarterback Prospect Rankings. We had some good performances Week 1. We also had some pretty bad ones. So before we get into this, Spencer Rattler is not on this list at all. He's not even in the honorable mention. South Carolina, he didn't have a very good... He had two interceptions, one touchdown this weekend for South Carolina. I. He could have stayed on. I've talked about this before. In regards to talent, I don't think there's a lot of quarterbacks that are as talented as, uh, as Spencer Rattler. I don't think there's a lot of them. I think his attitude just sucks. Uh, Phil Yurkovic dropped completely off the list as well. Is there anybody else that dropped completely off the list that we had? Not that I can remember, but if I do remember, uh, but Phil Yerkovic and Spencer Rattler are not on this list at all. And I know you could go like one, like 10 to 1. That makes sense because you want to have like a grand reveal for number one. But I think in this situation, number one spot is kind of like the number one, two, three spots, I don't think there's much controversy in. So like, why wait till the end? Like, I feel like the players at the bottom of the list are more like the, you get like, oh, who is he going to have in the top 10? Like, nobody from my top five from last week or whenever we've done college football quarterback rankings has changed. Just one person moved up two spots. So, like, I don't think there's that much surprise in the top five. Especially since it's after week one. But, like, one, two, three is Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Anthony Richardson. And then, I mean, we already said Will Levis at four, Tyler Van Dyke at five. Uh, for Bryce Young and Stroud, those are the two guys you're going to get linked with every single week. We'll start with Stroud he comes in at two. I think Stroud, th- this was big. I, I wasn't aware of this. I wasn't really aware of this because I didn't watch the full game, and I saw part of it. Jackson Smith and Jigba going out was big for Ohio State. Massive injury for them. Not necessarily long-term, but for that game, it was big. But C.J. Stroud still played very, very well. He could lead over 70% of his passes, two touchdowns. Showed off some ball placement very impressively along the sidelines. Looked very good. I guess top five team. Was I surprised that, and this is me being like cynical about Notre Dame, about how little Ohio State blew them out? Like, they won by 11 points, and I still think that they should have beaten by more. Is that, that's not a discredit to Ohio State. I mean, it's Notre Dame, they're a top five program, but I was kind of surprised about that. I think losing Smith and Jigba was kind of big. I do understand that. Like, Ohio State was a 17 and a half point favorite. I thought that was easy, uh, especially being at the horse. If it was a neutral site, this is what I would expect to like, in Atlanta or an in Indianapolis or wherever they would have played this. Being at the horseshoe at night, that surprised me. That they the only won by eleven, but CJ Stroud played well. They leaned on the run game a lot. Trayvon Henderson had a very good game as well, Henderson. But yeah, CJ Stroud's very very good, and I I think that when you're comparing them, Stroud and Young, week one opponents, it's a little hard. I mean, one played Notre Dame, the other one played Utah State, but I would like to stay. For the people that go out there and go, Young's played Utah State should blow them out. It's kind of a situation like, I think Utah, like Utah State, they won eleven games last year. They won the they won the the Mountain West Conference in a blowout game against San Diego State. Like the Utah State is not a bad football team. Like there are a lot of people that are taking the under on this game. Alabama was a forty-two and a half point favorite, forty-two point favorite in this game. They won fifty-five nothing. And I think the thing that I liked the most about this game. And I don't think, when you're looking at the two quarterbacks, if you had Young one, Stroud two, or whatever, I don't think there's anything that convinced me that Stroud passed Bryce Young. Because I know a lot of people really like C.J. Stroud. I like C.J. Stroud. I've defended C.J. Stroud a thousand times in the show last fall. I dedicated a whole show basically defending C.J. Stroud. But just from this weekend, I don't know if you can really say like C.J. Stroud Did anything, and I know it's unfair because, in the grand scheme of things, Utah Utah State is not as good as Notre Dame. I understand that. I know Utah State had a very good season last year. They have a good team. It's not Notre Dame, and Alabama should realistically, even though Utah State's a good team, they're playing a lower conference. They should bat them aside. Though people were thinking that, oh, maybe Utah State can cover. They weren't going to win, obviously, and Alabama was still going to beat them by thirty plus points. But it was like, maybe they can cover. But I think the thing I liked about this game the most is that CJ or Bryce Young ran the ball. Bryce Young ran the ball. When Bryce Young runs the ball, like he could put up like insane, insane numbers. He already had great numbers last year just throwing the ball. Running the ball, he could put up good numbers as well. This is a career high in rushing yards by a lot. I think this is other career high was like 42 yards. And this is his career high in touchdowns, too. Six touchdowns. He had five passing, one rushing. It was just easy. I think the thing that I like about CJ, or I keep mixing them up, Bryce Young the most is how calm he is. Bryce Young has an absolute rocket of an arm. Now, when he gets to the next level, I'm sure they're going to have to teach him how to put touch on it because he just laces everything in there every single time. But I loved him running the ball. And I've talked about this before, how I think that this dude, if he's not asked to, so this is why he doesn't do it. But they could implement an offense where he could run, and the difference when like Jalen Hurts was there. When Jalen Hurts was very, when they had a very effective run offense with Jalen Hurts, Bryce Young is at this at this point in their Alabama careers such a better quarterback than Jalen Hurts was. Jalen Hurts was a great athlete, had a great attitude, great everything, apart from passing. He was very inconsistent as a passer, didn't do anything particularly special in the pass game. He's developing that still to this day in the NFL. Bryce Young is now a junior at Alabama. And I would say now he's even better than what Jalen Hurts is as a passer. Like, that's how good Bryce Young is as a passer. Running the ball, I don't think there's a lot of quarterback. I don't think he's as, like, fast as I, he might. I think he's a hair slower than Kyler Murray. But he's just not asked to run. If he can, this is what you do. And he only had five carries. And he even put some, like, jump jukes in the game as well he do it, the announcer's like, oh, he got a little Euro step in there. Like Bryce Young can run. Bryce Young can move. He's just not asked to do that. So his numbers last year, he had 81 carries, no yards. Career high, 42 rushing yards. He's just not asked to run. When you can throw the ball as well as he can in front of an Alabama off the line and have weapons in front of you like he did last year, I wouldn't really need to run the ball as well. But he could have, like, I think there's a realistic shot. He goes two for two in the Heisman. If he, I know it's against Utah State. I'm aware of that. But if he can put up more 100-yard rushing games or at least more yards. Like, he's, he's 100 more yards than he had all of last year <laughs> already. I know it's week one, but I want to see him do this more. I want to see him do this more. Because he can he can be that guy that can do this. I love watching Bryce Young play. And then Anthony Richardson, we already knew that. We already knew he could run the ball. Like, he had a few games, like, against USF. He had 100-yard rushing and 100 yards passing. He got hurt. If it wasn't for that, he would have been the star of the rest of the year. He had three rushing touchdowns against the number seven team in the nation. Had a couple of insanely nice runs. Laced the ball in there a couple times when throwing the ball. Played smart. Didn't turn the ball over. And that's what you want. First start as the main guy. No other competition. In front of a sold-out swamp. At at night against the seventh-ranked team in the nation, which historically, over the past few seasons, has a very, very good defense. You have a former Florida player as one of their starting linebackers and you beat them, I took Florida in this game because of him. Anthony Richardson, like Bryce Young, like C.J. Stroud, is him. And I regret, one of my biggest regrets on this show is moving him from 3 to 5 when we did this rankings, like, back in, like, right after the draft. I don't remember exactly when we did that, but he was number 3, and then we changed it because I was like, well – I don't know, I haven't seen a full season event as a starter, so maybe we can be a little bit more hesitant. I, mean, I think five's fair. No, I should have kept him at three. Because I was like, when I, after I watched that, I was like, yep, he's back to number three. And then we already said Levis is four. Uh, I mean, this is his second ever 300 pass game. through three touches. And I've, I've talked about this before. I was nervous about him going into the season to a certain extent just because of the fact that he lost his top, four of his top five guys from last year in regards to receiving. They brought in a guy from Virginia Tech who was clearly the best wide receiver at Kentucky, at least from Saturday's game. And I think Levis, given his size about 6'4, 232 pounds, can run the ball extremely, really ex- extremely, really, extremely well. But this game he didn't he didn't have that. He had negative 18 yards rushing, which is very rare for Will Levis. Will Levis is a very talented runner. He was efficient in the pass game, throw, shoot, had a couple very nice balls in there. His interception, though, I have a little bit of an issue with because it was kind of a, just a lazy throw. He didn't really put anything into it. They're on the goal line, essentially. And it was fourth down, and he twisted to the right. Titan was running an out route, and he just, like, upper body threw it. Like, there was nothing behind the throw at all. You're trying to – when those kind of throws, when you have that little room to work with, you've got to put almost everything you have into that throw to get two yards – You just have to make sure the defender does not jump that, and when you just put your upper body into it, that's what happens, and that's kind of the situation that happened there. But I still think Levis is number four, and then Tyler Van Dyke, I mean, it's kind of a similar situation to Bryce Young. Miami just blew the brakes off of Bethune-Cookman. Bethune-Cookman had zero chance in this game. Now, he did fumble a snap. If we're going to be nitpicky here, he fumbled a snap. So I guarantee that's all they're doing this week. They're going up against Southern Mississippi this week. I don't think Miami's gonna have much of an issue against Southern Miss this week either. I don't think they'll beat him 70-3. I could be wrong. Maybe or 17-13. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they do it again. But uh yeah, fumbling a snap is not great, but in regards to throwing the ball, I mean, we already knew what he could do. We already knew <laughs> we already knew what Tyler Van Dyke could do with the ball. He had three incompletions, 193 yards, two touchdowns. Not a great runner with the football. Not not a terrible runner of the football. I'm not going to put him up there with Levis. Like, he's a bigger dude. Like, him, Richardson, and Levis are bigger guys that can move a decent... But Richardson's clearly number one. Clearly, Richardson is on another platform in regards to that ability chart. Levis is on that number two spot. Levis can't move as well as Richardson, but he can move very well. And then Van Dyke's right there, too. Van Dyke can move. He just didn't in this game. And he's not... It's not like Bryce Young, where I know Bryce Young could rush for over 100 yards in every game if he could, or if he, if he wanted to. I don't think Van Dyke can do that. I think Van Dyke could have about 20 yards a game running the ball, which is a decent amount of rushing yards for a bigger quarterback. So, yeah, Van Dyke played well. Van Dyke played well. Threw a couple very nice passes down the sideline. Like, he, he looked good. I mean, it's against Bethune-Cookman, so you'd expect it. Didn't really need to do a whole, whole lot. But yeah, I mean, very good tune-up game for him. Very good tune-up. Number six, Tanner McKee. Stanford played Colgate 41-10. Nothing to really write home about. <laughs> beat him 41-10. But McKee played well. McKee is not a mover. McKee could not run. He didn't even have he didn't register a carry in this game. Not that he needed to, but he did throw an interception this game. had over 300 yards passing, five incompletions, two touchdowns, a couple very, very nice passes. He threw one pass in the middle of the field that just went over the out uh, went over the linebacker on a slant route, and it was a beautifully run route. The the receiver from the slot kind of sold it. And then just cut right in wide ass open, placed right over the linebacker, threw a ball to the back corner of the end zone. I think it was the same player, right? Who was it again? I'm trying to read my note. Michael Wilson. Michael Wilson. I'm trying to read my article that I posted. <laughs> that I've I have written out Michael Wilson threw a beautiful pass to the back corner of the end zone. Double coverage, pretty much double covered, and just high point of the ball. The the when you're throwing those kind of passes, I'm not necessarily. I'm not a big. Uh, uh, what do you want to call it? A believer's not the right word. I'm not a massive fan of fade routes when you're that close to the end zone. But when you have a guy that can go up and get it, you have to place it only where he can get it. And that's what McKee did on that. And then he found, a, had a very impressive throw, which a lot of people think is the best throw he had. I think the one over the linebacker's the best, and I think the one, I, I can make an argument, but either one of the passes that he made to Michael Wilson would be up there. But the one deep ball to John Humphrey for 53 yards which did not end up in a touchdown. For that play, two plays later they scored, that was a beautiful throw as well. He showed off his arm talent. He had a couple other really nice throws in there. It's against Colgate. This week they're playing USC. Very excited to see that. It's a night game at Stanford. I'm very excited for that game. They beat Oregon last year, so maybe you can do that again this year against USC. So, uh, yeah, against Lincoln Riley's offense. Let's see if Stanford can keep up, but McKee played well. Number seven, Jaron Hall. Some of these guys didn't really move. Like, Jaron Hall moved up one spot. He played USF. Easy game. 15 yards on the ground. 261 passing yards. Two touchdowns. One pick. The interception. I feel... I don't like doing this, but in games like this, where they're not playing a really good team and they just blew them out of the water, of course, they're going to play very well. So, you got to look at some of the things they did and what they could potentially improve on. This one, he just tried to force a pass. He had a guy standing by kind of by the pylon on this throw that was... Probably I don't know if the camera was cutting off where the defender was, but he looked wide open on the screen. And he threw the ball in a pretty much triple coverage, tried to lace it in there, didn't work out. Thankfully, they played USF. <laughs> so USF didn't do anything on that drive. Not only did they not do anything, they, uh <laughs> so they got the interception, went a few plays, We're going to punt it, and the ball went over the punter's head, rolled out the back of the end zone for safety. That was pretty much the entire game. You, BYU leaned heavily on the run game in this game. I think they had about 300-something yards rushing the ball in this game. Very solid game running it. Jaren just didn't need to really do a whole lot. Just a very solid performance. They're playing Baylor this week. And it's in Provo at night. That is top, what, top five hardest place to play in college football? Provo, Utah at night. I'm very excited for that. That game's going to be fun. Jaron Hall against Baylor. Should be very, very fun. At home, I'm excited for that. I will be tuning into that. The number eight, we got Hendon Hooker. Again, similar thing. Two rushing touchdowns. Very short rushing touchdowns. (laughs) He didn't really need to run the ball that much. He had 12 carries, two touchdowns there. Running the ball, two passing touchdowns. Again, Ball State (laughs) 59-10. Blew them out of the water. I like Malik Malik Hooker. I like Hendon Hooker. Malik Hooker's the safety for the Cowboys. Hendon Hooker. And Joe Milton, I I give Joe Milton credit. Joe Milton is still there. Joe Milton is still there. So if anything happens to Hendon Hooker, Joe Milton can come in. And he knows the offense. He is talented. But I'm surprised he's still there. I kind of forgot he was still there, and he came in against Ball State. (laughs) But they played Pitt this week at number 17. I believe Pitt got the better hand of them last year. Pitt's riding on an emotional high after beating West Virginia like they did last week. They got themselves a good quarterback as well in Keaton Slovis. I like that. He looked he looked closer to his old self against West Virginia than he did last, any of the past two years at USC. So that's what we like to see. I'm excited for that one. But Henn and Hooker looked really good, and the final two guys are also US or SEC guys. Are two new guys that have not been in the top ten. And I have flipped back and forth between these two the entire time. The entire time we've been doing, I've been trying to write this list. I've spent the past two days coming up with this. Number nine and ten is Will Rogers and KJ Jefferson from Arkansas. My friend, we'll start off with KJ, who's at 10. My friend Ryan, who we brought up on the show before, big Arkansas Razorbacks fan. Big Arkansas Razorbacks fan. When we bring up Traylon Burks last year, I'd bring Ryan up. When we bring Jalen Kat- Catalan up this year, we're going to talk about him. When we bring up KJ Jefferson, we're going to talk about him. Because he's the only Arkansas fan I've ever met in my entire life. So I have to bring him up when we're talking about Arkansas football. You have to. I I think think it's kind of important to bring up Ryan when you're talking about a guy that likes a team that no one else you know likes, that's not really close to the state where you're from. So it's kind of like, oh, we have to bring him up. We have to bring up K.J. Jefferson. K.J., if you're looking at just skills, physical attributes, stuff like that, K.J. is the kind of guy you'd want to build a team around. He is a smart passer. Does have some inconsistencies in the pass game, but smart. Doesn't force too many issues. Didn't have turn the ball over a lot last year. Is a big physical guy. He's as big. He's basically he's another version of Josh Allen, kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of. He's as big as a tight end. Can run the ball extremely, extremely well. Cannon for an arm. He doesn't have trailing Burks this year, but that didn't really affect him this week against Cincinnati. Two hundred twenty-three yards, three touchdowns, no turnover, no interceptions. Sixty-two yards rushing, a touchdown there. So four total touchdowns against Cincinnati, a team that went to the playoff last year. I know they lost a lot of people. But still, Cincinnati, they're still a very solid, solid, solid football program. And Arkansas played well. K.J. Jefferson played very, very well in this game. He did a little nice Tebow-esque jump pass touchdown, but also had a nice little uh, Tebow-esque uh, big sack that almost resulted in a safety. So remember when Tebow, I think it was a 42-yard sack against the the Patriots in the playoffs? <laughs> I think it was 42 yards. And it's kind of like that. But a little, I think it was 13 yards for Jefferson. But it's a nice, solid game. Against a good team. Against a very good team in Cincinnati. Came away with a dub. And this week, they're taking on South Carolina and Spencer Rattler. So that should be fun. And then Will Rogers, just really just efficient passing. Like, if we're talking about efficient passing, Will Rogers is is very similar to that of Tanner McKee. All the other quarterbacks on this list can move. Can move. Like, we got Young. We got Stroud. We got Richardson. We got Levis. Van Dyke. uh, We got Jaron Hall. Hooker. Jefferson. Rodgers is not going to run the ball that much. But he is efficient in the pass. He's a ser- he's a uh, surgeon in the pass game. Completes a high percent of his passes. Pass the ball with great frequency because that's a Mike Leach style of offense. 450 yards passing, five touchdowns in the game. No touchdowns run, negative 60 yards rushing, so whatever. One interception against Memphis, which is slowly becoming a rivalry. I feel like these teams play every single year for whatever reason. But Will Rogers versus KJ Jefferson, it's just a... I don't, I don't know. That's why I've had such a hard time ranking them because Jefferson has a lot more physical tools than Will Rogers. But I think with Rogers, you have one thing that he does super, super well. I don't know what KJ Jefferson's best attribute is, if that makes sense. And I know Rogers played Memphis. I know Jefferson played or, or played Cincinnati. But Rodgers didn't really work with a whole lot. Like Jefferson's working with a top-25 team. Rodgers is not. And I'm excited to see how these two, t- two guys progress. I just really liked what Rodgers did, just how precise he was throwing the football. That's just what you like to see. He doesn't force really anything. They'll take the short passes. Mississippi State calls a lot of short passes, but he'll take those. He'll, fi- he'll dice you up. He'll take what the defense gives you, and that's all you can ask for. And it resulted in five touchdowns and 450 yards passing. Great performance from Will Rogers, and that is my top 10. So just a quick recap. Number one, one to 10 is Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, Will Levis, Tyler Van Dyke, Tanner McKee, Jaren Hall, Hendon Hooker, Will Rogers, and K.J. Jefferson. Six of the quarterbacks in the top 10 are from the SEC, with the last three being from the SEC and three of the top four quarterbacks being from the SEC. We got one... From the independent conferences in BYU, we got one from the Pac-12 and then one from the ACC in Tyler Van Dyke. And then honorable mentions, this week we got Brennan Armstrong from Virginia at 100 yards rushing and 246 yards passing, two touchdowns interception, also had a rushing touchdown as well. Again, we've talked about this before. If Brennan Armstrong does not have 100 in both categories, Virginia's probably not winning the game. Then we got Jake Hayner. Fresno State looked very confident in this week against Cal Poly, which you'd expect Fresno State versus Cal Poly uh 377 yards two touchdowns only 16 completions very nice Devin Leary is still on here he's still on here though he didn't play very well against East Carolina but we kept him on here over Phil Yurkovic and Spencer Rattler Grace McCall three touchdowns 147 yards passing uh had a rushing touchdown as well against Army and then Cameron Ward didn't have the greatest game but did put up three touchdowns incomplete a high number of passes against Idaho 24-17 24-17 win but two 215 yards, three touchdowns also had 18 yards on the ground as well. Again, you can find this blog post on loganblackmanshow.com. You can go to any of our former social media that we mentioned before and access the link that way. And yeah, I think that's all I've got for you on this Wednesday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. I hope you enjoyed the show. I'm trying to remember if I have anything else that I am trying to that I forgot. Uh, congratulations to Mitch Trubisky of being named the Steelers starter. I was, I, I'm halfway surprised about it, halfway not because I do think Kenny Pickett. I I have said this on the show. I don't know how you don't start Kenny Pickett week one, but hey, I think Trubisky deserves a start, a chance to start again in the NFL. I'm glad he's getting it, so I'm excited to see what he does, and yeah. I think that's all I've really got for you today. If I'm forgetting anything, I apologize, but I think i covered everything I wanted to cover. And, yeah, hope you enjoyed the show. If not, I sincerely apologize. I'll try to be better next time. We've got Iowa State this Saturday. Get ready for that. Hopefully we have a show on Friday. The Bills game is on Thursday, so we'll try to get something before that probably, or hopefully, probably record something before, just so we can get something out for Saturday, for Friday's show because we got rivalry week, or for Iowa State week, we got some big games around the world of college football as well. Oh, here's the games of who those quarterbacks are playing this week. We got uh, Bryce Young taking on Texas, C.J. Stroud taking on Arkansas State, uh, Anthony Richardson and Will Levis will be playing each other as Florida takes on Kentucky. It's at Florida, which should be fun. Uh, Miami's taking on Southern Miss, Stanford's taking on USC at home. BYU is going up against Baylor. Hendon Hooker against Pitt. Mississippi State is taking on Arizona in Arizona. It's a weird game. And KJ Jefferson and Arkansas are taking on South Carolina. So we went over a couple of those, but not all of them. I just want to get over those again. So with that being said, that's all I've got for you today. Hope you enjoyed it, and I will see you all later. Peace.